Welcome to Mountain Park. My name is Alan, and we are talking about technology. We're talking about uh, the many ways that we can respond to technology. Can we have a bold response to the pattern of this world? Paul warns us in the New Testament not to conform to the patterns of this world. So we're not saying technology is bad. By no means. We are here in, the, in this room surrounded by tons of technology. It's just a matter of can we bring wisdom to our technology experiences and technology conversations to say, is this something I should say yes to, or is this something I should say no to? Last week, I talked about a very popular topic, and that is having restrictions. Yay, we all love that. This idea of, of are we willing or interested in having boundaries set up in our life? Is there a value to restrictions? Do they actually lead us to freedom instead of take away our freedom? And uh, I think they do bring us to freedom. I think there is value in restrictions because they can help us focus on what's most important in life. And I think that's something that uh, most or all of us here in this room are interested in. I talked about a great technology word that I learned uh, recently, nomophobia, which is a real word meaning the fear of losing your phone. Uh, I just love that our culture has to have a word for that. Uh, and that the action step from last week was what? You're saying it quietly, but you're saying you're not big fans of it, but no more. For some of us, as we look at our technology, we can take the first four letters of this word. And for some of us, as we look at some ways that we're using technology or some apps that we're using uh, or some uh, ways that we are using our apps, it would be healthy or wise for us to say no more, no more to certain things that we're experiencing. What we're talking about today is if we say no more to some area of technology in our life, what are we filling that area with? Because anytime we move something, it gets filled with something else. It's like moving dry sand. It just gets uh, replaced very quickly. And so what we're talking about today is, are we filling that with real things or are we filling that with simply more technology or different technology? Are we filling that with real things or virtual things is what we're talking about today. Would you bow your heads with me as we uh, pray? Father, once again, I'm so thankful that you are aware of this issue, you're aware of uh, what we are dealing with, and you're not surprised by it. And so, God, we invite you to come and speak to us. God, I pray that this conversation would by no means be limited by my experience or my thoughts or my struggles, God, but that you would come and speak to your people, that we would hear from you, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us individually in ways that connect with, uh, with our needs. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So on this issue of we have to replace technology with something else, are we replacing it with something real or something virtual? In the New Testament, Paul offers, I think, a great filter. Paul is the writer of many letters in the New Testament. He writes uh, a number of them from prison in Rome. He is uh, uh, up in years. He's in his 70s or 80s. He is not in a dungeon kind of situation, but he's more in a house arrest situation. And he's writing to one of the churches that he planted, churches that he had, he had relationship with. He writes a letter to the Philippians. And it's a very encouraging, positive, upbeat letter and lots of things to celebrate in the Philippian church. And near the end of this short letter, he offers a verse that many of us are familiar with, chapter 4, verse 8. Paul says, uh, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, 
Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is a great filter for any decisions or any things you want to add into your life or consider in your life. This morning, I want to focus on the first word that Paul offers there. He says, whatever is true, whatever is true. This is a great place to start. It's a great question. Is it true? As you look at some of the things that you are considering uh, uh, in terms of your social media experience. Maybe you're looking at what some people are saying about you or to you or things that you are feeling uh, uh, um, insecure about or whatever. A great starting question is, is it true? If it's not true that people are saying you never show up on time or you don't care about anybody about yourself uh, or whatever, if people are saying things about you or whatever, if it's not true, just let it go. It's their problem. It's not your problem. They have some inaccuracies. Don't get caught up. Don't get wounded by somebody else's lie. It's a great question. Just embrace, take on whatever is true. If it's not true, let it go. If it is true, about you, if there's a portion of that that is true, then do we have the courage to say, okay, what perhaps could I do about that? Maybe it wasn't communicated well. Maybe it wasn't communicated with your best interest in mind. But still, are we big enough, strong enough, wise enough to say, God, in what way do you want to work on that part of my life? That's a great, that's a great kind of way to handle this thing. It's a great question. What is true? Is it true? Whatever is true, Paul says, think about such things. Now, with regard to truth and seeking truth and what is true and what is not true in our lives, technology and particularly the internet isn't all that helpful. The internet is tremendous at providing information, flooding us with information. In the information age, we have access to so much information but it's not always clear what is true and what is not. In fact, the way that the internet works is it is making efforts actually to kind of redefine what truth is. Let me give you a couple examples. What is the search engine king of the world? Google, we all know that. So Google has math geniuses who create formulas to find information for you that is relevant for you. This is, this is fascinating. They, they, they take your location and who you are and what you like and what you don't like, and that generates their lists of, 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 on your search. That you can search for the same thing as me and we will come up with different lists because Google has different information on you than they do on me. <laughs> Their whole plan, Google defines truth in terms of relevance. Truth is it's not just a there's, not a, there's no absolute truth. There's no actual truth. It is truth based on you and your situation. That's what the evidence is. That's what truth is. That's the information they're going, they're going to send you to. Truth is based on relevance. Now, who, if Google is the search engine king, what is the internet information king? What is the internet encyclopedia? 
Wikipedia, I mean, that's, that is a Google favorite, that Wikipedia often goes at, at a high place in terms of searches uh, because of their structure and their, just the way their, their, their system is. Wikipedia is so enormous, they have millions and millions and millions of pages. They have over five and a half million articles in English alone, and they're adding 20,000 every month. Wikipedia just keeps on uh, growing and growing. Now, it used to be that truth was wrestled with, debated about, and presented to the world from experts in the field. It used to be that that's what truth is, that if you are a physics expert, you would be the one to speak into this physics issue, or if it's a psychology thing, you would speak into that, or if it's theology or medicine or whatever, the experts would speak into that and help us understand and unpack uh, truth. Well, Wikipedia is not interested in the experts. They, they don't really care about the experts. Wikipedia gives as much credibility to a 12-year-old as they do to someone who has a PhD in the field that that article is all about. The Wikipedia says, I, I don't care about your credentials, and there have been plenty of mistakes and frauds that have been a part of that, all, but it's this elaborate system that is all about consensus. It's all about the community's participation in what is true, gathering to say, we think together. Even if it says, comes from a 12-year-old, Wikipedia says it's about consensus. So Google defines truth in terms of relevance. Wikipedia defines truth in terms of consensus. The internet is trying to redefine what truth is. And so part of our experience with truth and wrestling with this question is, what is true? What, you know, Paul says, whatever is true. How can we know what is true when our experience of technology is moving us away from the general understanding of authority and what is truth. That, it, that the, our technology is moving us away from what is true, from what is real. Uh, uh, technology is moving us from real to virtual. It's moving us away from real conversations to virtual conversations, from real relationships to virtual relationships. Many believe that the next wave in... Uh, in terms of technology and entertainment is the development of virtual reality systems that you can put on a headset and, and you can plug in or set up this headset in a way that you can create a, an entire virtual experience, your entire view, everything, you are immersed into another experience. And so you can, for example, go on a ski trip uh, in, from the comfort of your living room you can go on a ski trip, you can select which runs to go down, you can practice on the green runs, go into the uh, uh, blue runs, and then be able to work on the, the black diamond runs. You'll never get hurt. And you can bring with you whoever you want to bring. You can bring good skiers, you can bring uh, beautiful you know, women to ski with you, whatever your experience. You can create your virtual vacation. You can go hike the Amazon jungle in perfect safety by downloading a, uh, uh, an experience from, say, Amazon. You can, from Amazon.com, you can go to the Amazon jungle and you can experience all this. Well, of course this is going to be popular. Of course this is going to, to be the next phase of gaming and experiences. That it's not just shoot 'em up stuff, it is complete virtual experiences. 
it will be popular because why would you want to mess with, why would you want to deal with messy, complicated people? Messy, complicated, real people when you can have a virtual experience with someone who looks so real and, and, has, and responds to you and all that, but is perfect and never disagrees with you and wants to go on the exact run that you want to go on. You want to go on this run? Sure, I'd love to go on that run. And there's no debate on it. Why would you mess with messy people when you can just be immersed by virtual reality? That the, that the world is moving more into that. It's this movement from real to virtual. My wife this year for Christmas wanted to get the kids board games. You know, the, you remember those uh, old-fashioned old board games to sit around a table and have this? And, and part of the struggle with this, and some of you can relate to this, you, you can go to the store or go to Amazon.com and you can get a $20 board game that has real cardboard and real plastic pieces that you move around for $20, or you can spend 99 cents for the app that you can download on all sorts of different uh, devices, and it will even do the counting math for you on a game like Monopoly or whatever. It'll do all that math. You can get a game done in 20 minutes that normally would take four hours. And so it's all, it's more efficient and it's quick and all that. And so we've, we've been wrestling with this and talking about this, with this as a family and say, well, how, is this really where we want to spend our money and all this kind of stuff? And my wife came up with a phrase that is the title of this message that has become kind of a, uh, uh, it's become important for our family, this idea of we want to do real things with real people. We want to do real things with real people. That this, that there is such a tendency to move away from real things and real people and to go into virtual things and technology is pulling us away from real things into virtual things. May we target, highlight real things with real people as we consider what we, if we take some technology out of our life and replace it with something, let's replace it with real things with real people. Just, I think it's a great connection with Paul's words, whatever is true. Can we start with that? What, whatever is true. Let's start with that piece. Real things with real people. Some of you know that my mother-in-law, Rita Puckett, is very sick. And as a result, over the past uh, couple months, many family members and old friends and such have come to Phoenix to visit her and to visit the family and spend time with the family. One of those visitors is a gentleman I hadn't seen in quite some time. It's my wife's uncle, so Rita's uh, brother-in-law. His name is Scott, so he is Uncle Scott to us. Uncle Scott is a Vietnam vet, and when he got back from the war, when, the, when, when he returned from that experience and he, and he touched down on American soil, he vowed that he would never fly again. He vowed that he would never get in an airplane again. And he did not until two weeks ago when he flew for the first time since 1971. He flew here to Phoenix to see his sister-in-law. Now, as you know, aviation public transportation has changed somewhat since 1971. 
It's a little different. And so we gathered around the table, our families, our family and their family, and gathered around the table, and we listened to stories from Uncle Scott about his flight experience. He's a tremendous storyteller, big, deep voice, and, and he would talk about the security systems and what his experience was like with that. He talked about the, that machine you go in with to test you, and, and he would put his arms up here. He's a big guy, and then they would say, put your arms up. He said, this is as high as they go, and, and so he didn't look like the picture, but it was as close as he could get, and he talked about the little four-year-old boy who was weaving in and out underneath the seats during the flight and, and annoying everybody, and every once in a while, his head would pop out, and he'd give the little kid a wink, and, and he was totally enjoying this little boy, and, and then he talked about this, uh, this larger woman who was going into the restroom, and then he was fascinated by, after a few minutes, she, she got out by backing out the same way she got in, and he thought, how did she turn around while she was in there? And, and so he was just making observations, and, and it was just tremendous. We were just listening and laughing, and, and at the end, you know, we were kind of getting up. I said, Uncle Scott, this is just so great. We're so glad that you came here to visit, and, and you are such a great storyteller. Thanks for sharing with with us. And he just stood up from the table. He said, he said, you know what? Good food and a good story. That's really all you need. Yep, indeed it is. We, we are filling ourselves with so many virtual experiences and virtual relationships and virtual um, communication methods. And what we really long for, what I think so many of us just really hope for, those are just versions of the real thing, which is good food and a good story. Real things with real people. I think there's great value to that. Again, I'm not bashing technology. Technology has brought about incredible things. Technology has allowed us to connect in ways that we've never been able to connect before. That uh, my mother-in-law, Rita, uh, she's confined to her bed, uh, but she is able, because of the live streaming of our services, she's able to watch and participate and worship with us on Sunday mornings, which is a very big deal to us, uh, to a very big deal to her. And so I want us to be able to say hi to Rita. If you would look at that camera over there up on the wall, say hi, Rita. Say hi, Rita. We love you. Uh, so she is able to participate with us because of beautiful uses of technology in ways that people who are serving in the military across the world can, can uh, connect with one another in ways that they couldn't before. It's beautiful. It's tremendous. But if we're ever faced with the choice of something real versus something virtual, I just recommend choosing something real. That's it. I mean, yes, technology can provide us with great things and they take the place of, of they fill holes that, other, that holes couldn't be filled in before, et cetera. It's great. But when you get the chance to choose between real and virtual, choose real. Have you ever sat in a restaurant across the table with somebody, it's just the two of you, and that person is engaged in a texting conversation and you are not and um, there's no conversation that you're involved with and you're sitting there and you're watching the other person text and then they start laughing and they think you're interested in how funny their texting conversation is. <laughs> and so they want to tell you all about it. They say, oh, well, he said, da, da, da. and then I responded. Look what I responded. Isn't that, that's so funny. Here's what I'm going to say now. Da, 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 da. 
and they think you're interested in how hilarious you are, you know, with, with this conversation. You, you, know, you know what they're saying to you when they do that? They're saying, you're not interesting. This person right here, this is interesting. This is entertaining. So I'm, I'm going to be here in this virtual relationship slash communication instead of the real one that's right across the table from me. So when, when faced with the choice between real and virtual, may we love and honor one another by choosing real. It's what we really desire anyway. I don't know about you, but my, my FaceTime experience is rarely pleasant. I don't FaceTime very much, but when I do, I'm always confused because I don't know where to look. I really don't like that because I look, if I look in the eyes, then I know that they're, they, that they, that for them, I'm not looking at them because they're looking at my sternum. And so if I'm looking at their eyes, I know that they, that I'm looking at their sternum when they look at it. If I look at the camera and do them a favor by looking at their eyes, it's really awkward for me because I'm talking to a camera and I'm hoping my peripheral can catch their facial expressions uh, as well as possible. It's frustrating. It's very confusing that, that, that uh, psychologists say that that two-inch difference between the eyes and the camera, that's, that's a major factor in terms of us emotionally connecting with other people. That it's hugely different between looking at someone eye to eye and, and us kind of bouncing between the camera and the eye, that it, it is nowhere near the same emotional connection that we have when it's a real conversation. It, it, it doesn't impact us, it doesn't help us, it doesn't connect with us in the same ways as a real conversation. It's just not as good. Wouldn't it be great if someone could invent a communication system where the camera is in the exact same position as the eye, like where you look at the eye and that's the camera and it's looking back at you and you're actually looking eye to eye. Oh, wait a second, God did that. God's already made that. Apple can't figure it out, but God has figured it out that your camera is the exact same thing that looks at the thing you want to look at when you're talking to somebody. Done. Taken care of. All I'm saying, all I'm saying is that, is that technology can be great. It can be, it can be a great, great, great option in many situations. But when it comes down to choosing between something real and something virtual, choose real. Choose real. Let real be the winner. Real is, is deeper. There's a difference between real and virtual. Just a couple things. Real people are complex. Real communication and conversations are very complex. We all know this, that so much of our communication is nonverbal. So much of our connection with one another has nothing to do with the words that we're saying. It, there's so much, there's so many other things going on there. It's a big deal to look at someone in the eyes and say, I love you, or I like you. That's way different than texting it, because when you text it, you go, ah, 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 I don't know what that's gonna be. You look at someone in the eyes, and you get their response right away. You look at someone and you say, I like you. And they go, 
you, you're not going to miss that initial response, the body language. They might say, oh, great, I like you too. And, 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 and so it's so different to look at someone in the eye, to look at someone in the eye and say, I disagree with you. I'm, I'm in a different place than you, so we need to engage. We need to, there's confrontation about to happen here. Or I am hurt by you. And then you, you see their shoulders. You see the eyebrows. You see whether they look down. You see if they show any emotional response. All of those pieces are so relevant. A real conversation is way more complex than a virtual conversation. Way more complex. Have you ever practiced what you were going to say to somebody? and you had it down pat, you practiced, you went over and over, you knew the order, you knew the exact message, and then as soon as you get and you're face-to-face with that person and you go, ha, 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 it, like it just doesn't work out. We've all done that. We've practiced it. When we don't have the actual person in front of us, we nail it. But it's so complex when we're with people. Virtual conversations, they lack so many of these things. There's no tone in, a, in, a, in, te, in technology conversations. No tone that you can say, will you marry me? And it'll have the same tone as, I never want to see you again. It's, it's just words, and it all depends on how you read them. And, and so there's so much that's missing on that. There's no tone, there's no body language, there's no inflection. That's why emojis have become so popular because they are an attempt to share a feeling with what you're saying. And so we, we attach an emoji to it and, and uh, we all know emojis are, are really not all that helpful anyway. We throw them on and some use them more than others. My, my daughter averages about seven emojis per text. And, <laughs> Uh, my average is about, I think I used seven in 2017 uh, emojis. So I just don't use emojis as much. My understanding basically is that for men, the only acceptable emoji is the fist bump. That's the only truly, accept- any, any other one is questionable at some level. And so, so the emoji is an attempt to bring feelings, to bring some kind of emotion to it, but it is a feeble attempt. It is just, it, there's a big difference between Uncle Scott saying, we're praying for you guys with a sad face emoji and Uncle Scott getting on a plane that he hasn't gotten on for 40 years and flying to Phoenix and being with us, gathering at the table and sharing good food and a good story. It's a completely different thing. Real things with real people because real people are complex. And then one final thing, real people are forgetful. And and that's a good thing because digital conversations are not forgetful. Digital conversations are, are recorded, captured some way. They're not private and, and they're not temporary. You, you have a texting conversation with someone, they're embedded, they're uh, saved on your phone or they're on the other person's phone or they're in the cloud somewhere or somebody at any time could just take a, a, a screenshot of a conversation that you've had. You think it was a private conversation, it's a screenshot, it's saved somewhere else, it is saved for permanent use. We know uh, with uh, Snapchat that uh, those images just show up and then they go away forever. No, they don't. Anyone could grab one of those images at any time. Uh, this stuff is not safe, it is not private. When we go digital conversations, they're not safe and they're not private. Um, And internet searches are not 
are not uh, uh, private uh, either. Any internet search that you've ever made is recorded somewhere. Did you know that? This is where a lot of this information comes from. You look up something on the internet, they know who looked it up, when, and they attach it to other searches that you've made and they learn tremendous things about you. Every search you've made on the internet, ever, think about that. You say things to Google that you don't say to anybody else. You ask questions about your fears, about your guilts, about your fantasies, about your hopes, that for some reason, you and I are not saying to real people. It's a virtual exchange that is replacing what could be a very important, powerful, real exchange. And what happens is those searches are recorded. They are captured. The digital world knows a, tremendous about, knows a tremendous amount about you and me, and it does not forget. It doesn't forget. It is, it is captured. There's a thing called the Internet Archive that, that captures. It's a nonprofit organization that makes sure that, that our Internet experience is captured in all its levels and all its forms. The human brain, however, has the ability to forget. And it is a gift. The human brain has a tendency to remember good things and let go of bad things. Of course, we, we grab onto and keep some bad things, and that's part of our story, part of our journey. God created a very complex um, uh, computer here, uh, but this computer has the ability to forget things, to let go of things, to let go of what somebody once said to you, how someone once made you feel, how that pain uh, felt at one point. The, the, the human brain slash computer has the ability to forget to let go of things. The reason I know that is that our creator also has that ability. And this is amazing because the creator um, uh, could be better than any computer, of course. But the creator says, uh, through David, he says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far your transgressions are from God. He says to the prophet Jeremiah, he says, I will remember your sins no more. That our creator, our, our, our judge says, there are things that I will let go of. And that's part of love and grace of, of our heavenly father. That, that the digital world says, I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna keep it forever. I'm gonna hold this against you. I'm gonna use this whenever is necessary or whatever. But our gracious heavenly father says, I know the information. I know what your searches have been. And I have the ability to let go of those things. That's the grace of God saying, I can forget. I will let go of it. There's something beautiful about our creator's ability to forget and then our own brain, it having the ability to forget. That real relationships, real conversations, they're more complex and they let go of some things that we need to let go of. We are a part of a global human experiment, the likes of which humanity has never seen before. How we're 
using and experiencing technology. We're all just figuring this out together. But what's happening with this journey is that there is a shift from real to virtual. There is a shift from real conversations to virtual conversations, from real relationships to virtual relationships. So all I'm saying, as I've been saying for this whole series, I'm not telling you what to do at all, but may we have our heads up. May we have our heads up and be aware of the flow of technology so that we can bring wisdom to it and say, is this something I should be participating in? Next week, we're going to be talking about, is this something those I care about should be participating in? We're going to talk about how we pass this on to others or how we can lead or influence others in this area of technology. But right now, it's still about you and me. Can I make decisions that are wise, that say, you know, this area, this doesn't make me stronger. This doesn't make me feel better about myself. This doesn't make me have deeper relationships with God and others. Can we evaluate technology along those lines? Can we look at it and say, I choose real over virtual. I want to embrace whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, I want to think about such things. I want those to be the things I embrace, real things with real people. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, once again, I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit here in this place. We all have a unique experience with you. We all have a unique experience with technology. And so, God, I, I pray that you would allow us today and this week to identify the areas where we are choosing virtual over real and that you would convict us to make that switch. God, that we would notice the person sitting across the table from us, the real person, and that we would focus on that person. God, that we would, we would look people in the eye and say what we need to say to them. God, would, may we honor you who gives us so much grace. May we connect with others with whom you, you want us to pour grace into their lives through real conversations and real experiences. God, bless us as we pursue this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.